What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Wherever you go, however you go, for energy on the go, it's got to be 5-Hour Energy. It works fast, it works long, it tastes good, and with zero sugar and four calories, there's nothing holding you back. Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. 5-Hour Energy. Energy on the go. For more information, visit 5-HourEnergy.com. Take the baseline out. Uh huh. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you with my esteemed co-host Andy Bailey. We are very pleased to keep our season preview train rolling tonight with Ben Leibowitz, who has been published all over the place at NBA.com, Sports Illustrated, Yahoo Sports, Bleacher Report. He is a current Cronkite grad student and our resident Phoenix Suns aficionado, which means that he is here to talk about the 2017-2018 Phoenix Suns. How are you doing tonight, Ben? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Oh, no, thank you for hopping on. Um Absolutely. I just want to say that I'm I'm happy to be esteemed today, Dan. You know, I- hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the. Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I, I normally go with garbage co-host or trash-ass co-host, Andy Bailey, but I was feeling pretty generous today. I, ben just bring, I guess just brings out a, a happier side of the two of us, maybe. Well, I'll tell you, tell you what, it feels good to be esteemed. I'm glad I can bring in the happy vibes here. Are you going to be bringing any happy vibes with regard to the Phoenix Suns? Uh, their offseason was, I wouldn't call it uninteresting. Not a lot happened. Picking up Josh Jackson in the draft is a very big deal. I think an equally big deal was not trading for Kyrie Irving. I thought that was a very good move. I'm just curious to hear your general thoughts for them this offseason, and I guess it might even just be, uh, did they make the right move not trying to push even harder for that Kyrie Irving trade? Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you there. I didn't think going after Kyrie was the smartest decision either. I think a backcourt with Kyrie and Devin Booker defensively would have been an absolute disaster. Uh, It would have been a lot of fun to watch, but Also, I didn't want to have the Suns give up Josh Jackson to get Kyrie, and it sounded like from all of the reports that were coming out that that's what was being demanded. So I think Josh Jackson, moving forward with him, seeing what he can do as a two-way player, take some defensive pressure off of Booker is going to be interesting. So Josh Jackson, I think, was definitely the hang-up. I'm pretty high on him. Um, I understand the concerns with the... his form on his jump shot and um, just sort of how he'll adapt offensively. I think he just has so many physical tools. Um, and I remember running some comparisons over the course of his freshman season uh, at Kansas with Andrew Wiggins, and he was he was better than Wiggins in a lot of respects, who was, as we all remember, one of the most highly touted prospects in the last, I don't know, five, ten years. Um, what are your thoughts on josh jackson what kind of ceiling do you think he has uh well it's interesting because i've found him to be a pretty polarizing prospect like it depends who you hear it from but there are some people who say oh i thought josh jackson was the best player in the entire draft and then there are other people who think he's kind of overrated like the shot obviously is going to be a problem early on while he develops 
Uh, Off-court issues, also potentially a problem. Hopefully that's in his past. Uh, but I think the defensive mentality he can bring makes him a difference maker on day one. A lot of people in the Suns community have been, I think Greg Esposito coined him Matrix Reloaded. Yeah. I, I meant to ask you about that comparison, too, actually. Yeah, I mean, I, I like it. I think, obviously, the ceiling is probably Sean Marion because Sean Marion is arguably a, a Hall of Fame-type player. He's historically underrated. He was amazing for those Suns teams. Arguably the best player, certainly the best two-way player on those Suns teams. So I think the ceiling for Josh Jackson is Sean Marion, and if he can become that kind of the defensive-minded guy who can also impact the game offensively, someone you don't have to draw plays for. He can score on those like broken plays, cuts, things like that. Uh, I think that's kind of his ceiling. And right now, like with the potential that he has, if the floor is someone like Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, like a defensive talent who can't really figure it out on the offensive end or at least takes a couple years to get there, even that would not be a bad scenario for the Suns. So it's going to be interesting to see how he plays, where he plays as well. I know you and me, Dan, kind of talked about this a little bit, but uh, where they're, where Earl Watson is going to decide to play him because is he going to be the small forward? The Suns just locked up TJ Warren on a four-year extension. So clearly he's in the mix for the future plans of this franchise. Does that mean that Jackson slides down to the four and can we really maximize his defensive potential at the four? Because I think with regard to who he's playing with on the Suns, he can take a lot of pressure off of Devin Booker if he's guarding perimeter players and not playing at the four, like the small ball lineup. So it's going to be interesting. What would be a great middle ground for Josh Jackson? Uh, a Chris Middleton type player is what I saw a lot when I was watching film of him leading up into the draft, just kind of blending, uh, a lot of the stuff that the switchability of Sean Marion, but you, you have uh, the better jump shot there. I know the form is off, but he did you know shoot over 37% on 90 attempts at college. So just looking at his playmaking ceiling and perhaps his uh, ceiling from the three-point arc where you don't have to draw a place for him and maybe as a cutter, I, I could see him turning into a, maybe it's a better version of Chris Middleton or that that would be a nice middle ground for him. If you're hoping for Sean Marion, you're talking about a floor Michael Kidd Gilchrist and you end up with... Uh, Chris Middleton, I think that's a hell of a score. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. The playmaking, I think, is what separates him from like potentially becoming Michael Kidd-Gilchrist. I, I think uh, that's one of the things I'm really high on him is his ability to kind of create from the wing. And I think it's interesting, too, to sort of um, guess where Earl Watson's going to play him. You would know this better than I would. You You watch the team more closely. And you would know, you know, how experimental Watson is with lineups. But I'm, I'm really intrigued by Jackson and Warren playing together at, at the two forward spots. I think, I think Warren is kind of bulky enough to, to bang with the bigger forward fours, um, and he's naturally a small forward, so he should be able to run around the perimeter with the stretch force. So that's that's a combo that I would like to see. I don't, like I said, you probably know better than I do how. Um, forward thinking Watson is in terms of like positionless basketball. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting in the sense that in the past we've seen a lot of either Tyson Chandler or Alex Len at the five. And at least from what I've seen, it seems like Watson has been pretty dead set on keeping that pure center in the lineup. Uh, but over the offseason, we saw Marquise Chris, and this is kind of funny to me because. He put on a lot of weight, and it's one of those things where you can't really tell if he's bulked up or if he's out of shape or if it's some odd combination of the two. Uh, but if that was kind of with the foresight that he's going to be playing more at the five, that would make sense. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see. I don't know if he's enough of a defensive stalwart at this point in his career. He's obviously got the bounce. He can block shots, but he's also pretty foul-happy, so kind of leaning on him to be that rim protector at the five maybe not the best idea i think offensively it would work a lot better because chris can spread the floor shoot the three a little bit so yeah i mean if we're going with small ball lineups 
probably either having Chandler even on his last legs as that defensive anchor or Chris experimenting with him at the five is what they're going to do. Did you like the Chris, uh, excuse me, the Chris, the Warren extension? Uh, I just did. It felt off to me and maybe a little bit premature. I get that it could end up being good value. And Andy and I mentioned briefly before the podcast that sometimes on offense, like watching him create his own shot, is sort of a cross between a Jabari Parker and a DeMar DeRozan rolled into one. And I thought during the time that he spent up front more last season, there were moments that it looked like he was pretty good at, at defending some of the the bigger role men and maybe that's a blueprint to turn him into an okay room protector and you like you just mentioned use him at the four with jackson at the three and then you could still have chandler at the five or you could have chris at the five but just looking at what this team is doing where it seems like they're trying to rebuild from the ground up where you know that booker is also going to be extension eligible after next season did you kind of like the the gamble to reinvest on on someone like him this this early in the process yeah, I mean, I, I kind of see the pros and cons with the reasoning behind it. Obviously, he was going to be a restricted free agent next summer. So, uh, I mean, it's one of those weird scenarios. Like, the Suns have a, a pretty long track record with not investing in players before they get good. Read Joe Johnson. Uh, I think this was more them trying to protect themselves against a potential breakout year from TJ Warren where he would command a lot more money in restricted free agency. And it's a gamble. I mean, uh, who knows if he's going to play up to the standard of that contract, but they're avoiding restricted free agency. I do think he's a really solid offensive player. Granted, he doesn't have the range right now, but as far as creating his own shot in close, making weird contorted layups, like he's really fun to watch. He's a, he's a good scorer as, as long as he's not asked to shoot the three ball. So it'll be interesting to see. He's, got potential on both ends of the floor you want to hear his post all-star uh break numbers real quick these are even better than i thought they would be i think i read these a little bit ago but yeah lay them on me i just looked it up while you were talking um 17.6 points 7.7 rebounds one and a half assists and a 0.595 true shooting percentage yeah he was that's pretty dang good yeah, and it's interesting, like, the, the latter half of the season, a lot of Suns players were putting up pretty ridiculous numbers. I mean, this is super small sample size, but if you look at Tyler Ulis in April, this is, let me see, a six-game sample size where he averaged 38 minutes a game. So this is when he was the man taking over for Bledsoe, who they obviously shut down into the season. He averaged 20.7 points per game, 6.8 assists, 3.8 rebounds, shot 37% from beyond the arc, 48% from the field. Like, that's rock solid. Yeah. that I mean, I remember that hot streak that he had towards the end of the season. And, like, if that's your backup point guard, you're in pretty good shape. Yeah, absolutely. His shot and over the Celtics, was it the Celtics? That was, that was legend. Oh, the summer league one? Or no. You're talking about the regular season. He hit a game winner in the summer league too. Tyler no, Lewis is just basically the most clutch player of all time. Is what we're getting <laughs> out here. Yeah, yeah. I watched that game live. That was one of the most ridiculous shots I've ever seen. It was like the Celtics. I think it was, was it a tie game? But Isaiah Thomas got the ball in the backcourt, coughed it up. Ulyss picked it up and just launched a prayer three that he just drained game over. It was pretty. That was uh, Ulyss taking the little man torch from Isaiah Thomas right there. <laughs> well, at least until Isaiah's hip gets better, we'll say, <laughs> say that much. Where does this? Uh, you you mentioned Bledsoe briefly. Where where does he kind of fit all into this now? Is this just a, a matter of if uh, or when, not if he's going to be traded? You, he was obviously the primary Kyrie Irving trade bait. There aren't a lot of vacancies around the league at starting point guard right now, but you have to think a team like the Nuggets would still want to give up something for him. He his age bracket kind of runs counter to the Suns' timeline. If you keep him on the books and you're talking about Warren's extension, you're not necessarily going to have a lot of cap flexibility next year unless you're doing something with Jared Dudley, Tyson Chandler, and or Brandon Knight, uh, assuming he would even be movable at this point. Do you think he he's going to start the season in Phoenix? Do you think he finishes the season in Phoenix? 
I mean, I think at this point it's all going to depend on what kind of offers they can get for him. I, I still think that the Suns value Bledsoe very highly. Uh, I, I do think he's one of the better two-way point guards in the game. He's a pretty underrated player as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I think shutting him down at the end of the season kind of showed that they don't want him to get hurt again because he's very injury-prone. Uh, but I, I think the Suns at some point are going to have to try and sell high if he stays healthy. Because right now he doesn't really fit with hashtag the timeline, as a lot of the Suns community likes to say. Uh, I mean, I would I would like to see him stay around and kind of gel with Devin Booker and have that be the the steady backcourt. But at the same time, they have to be thinking more towards the future. Right now, they've got Josh Jackson at 20 years old, Devin Booker at 20 years old, and Bledsoe's 27. Uh, so when Devin Booker and Josh Jackson and the younger guys kind of come into their prime, Eric Bledsoe's going to be a wily veteran in his early 30s, and with the mileage on his knees, I'm not sure that's a scenario that the Suns really want. I think this is a different situation because you just mentioned Bledsoe's health, but I'm always, um, I'm always a little dubious when people go on and on about the timeline, like hashtag timeline, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Nash was all we have. early. Go ahead. I said it's all we have. Yeah. Well, I was going to say Steve Nash was in his early 30s when he took over the Suns for the second time. I, and, I mean, maybe this is just too like one-dimensional of a way to think, but I feel like um, you just get the best players together when you can, I'm not as concerned about everybody being the exact same age as some other people are. Like if, if Bledsoe is in his early thirties, when Booker starts to figure things out, I don't think that's a huge problem. Like I think 27 is young enough for it to still work if they really wanted to. Well, our, he's going to be a free agent in two years. And I would say he's a top 10 point guard right now, which is why I would think that the Suns should value him as Ben says they do. Are you really going to pay him like wait this out and see if you're going to give him near max money because then all of a sudden you're paying this guy deep into his 30s all this money and i think that's where the timeline argument comes into play I well think. not if it's like a four-year contract which is what most he's going to be long... 29 when he hits free agency that'd be four so years 29 to 33. 33 you want to pay near max money when you're also going to have booker on the roster you're going to i mean if he three... shows that he's healthy for the next two years why not he averages 26 and like five doesn't he uh, 26 points in five? No, he no 20 points, six assists, and yeah, five rebounds. I, I get it. I think he's a top 10 point guard. I guess we should probably get Ben's thoughts on this. I, I would understand <laughs> if you want to wait this out and let him walk in free agency or you want to see where you land in two years and you would rather see if it's worth re-signing him than try and capitalize on his departure anyway. I just That just seems like a, a bizarre route to take because right now you should be drumming up the value of your draft pick, in my opinion. He's just going to take... Uh, losses away from you at this point. There's value in having good players and veteran presences in the locker room, but that's why you have at least one of Chandler or Jared Dudley still there. So uh, Eric Bledsoe is very important to this team, but the thought of paying him when he reaches free agency in 2019, what it would cost to keep him for a Suns team that's on the timeline that they're on, and they don't even know what they have in these other guys, some of whom they've already paid in, in TJ Warren. That I just I, I don't understand the logic there. Well, I, I, I just don't know that. how. I, all, I, all I would say is I just don't know how you can be sure you're going to get a guy who averages 20 and six in the draft. Yeah, so I, I kind of agree with Andy on this. I don't think that it's comparable to say that he's like Steve Nash in that Bledsoe is putting forth much more effort on the defensive end. Yeah, he's like a, his body is under way more stress. That's for sure. Absolutely, way more stress, and he's like driving to the basket, taking heavy hits from centers it's just a different kind of play style but uh he doesn't hit free agency until 2020 so he's under contract this season and then the following season so i don't think that there's a ton of pressure on the suns right now to think about moving him they've still got him under contract for two more seasons i think if anything is gonna happen seriously as in they're looking actively to get any kind of deal they can before he ships out of town or becomes a free agent and then they have to worry about paying him I think it'll happen season after this. I don't think that they're going to be in a rush to trade him, especially with the Brandon Knight injury. I mean, not that Brandon Knight really moves the needle, but he is a body who plays point guard, and he's probably not going to play this entire season. So 
Uh, I don't know that you can leave everything up to Tyler Eulis at this point unless you're getting somebody back that is going to be a lesser point guard than Bledsoe. Is he? He's a free agent in 2019, right? I think that's where the urgency for me comes in there because you're working. Well, with I'm sp- I'm looking at uh, Spotrack right now, Spotrack, uh, and it says it has- that he's under contract for two more seasons and then as a UFA in 2020. So correct me if I'm wrong on that, but basketball reference has him done in 19. I think mm-hmm. so. So does basketball insiders. And I guess uh, I could have done more homework on this beforehand, but a lot of this would have to do with like doing some due diligence on how much money will be available that summer too. Cause yeah. that, that changes the calc or it, it has the potential to change. The right. And I, I mean, if it's, the timeline I'm looking at, it looks like Tyson Chandler and Jared Dudley are both off the books in 2020. So if Bledsoe links up with that, which doesn't seem to be accurate, I mean, hopefully we can find a reliable source here. But uh, it looks like those two vets are coming off the books that year. So that would free up a ton of money if that's, in fact, when Bledsoe is becoming a free agent. Yeah, if he signed for five years in 2014, it would make sense that he would hit the market in 2019. Okay, fair enough. Um, he's really good, though. If the, I guess that would be the, <laughs> that, that's the moral of the story. I I think he's spectacular, and he's one of those players where I, there will be people, especially if Isaiah Thomas is healthy, that would probably place him outside the top ten at his position. But if he's really bringing it on defense every night, or if you just put a, like a few more reliable defenders around him where it's not a bunch of foul-happy kitties – uh, he could climb that ladder uh, even higher. And I, I, I could understand the desire to keep him, especially on the contract he's on. Um, but as I, I guess the hope would be at this point that you want to eventually turn Devin Booker into a, and that would probably be a nice segue into him, but you want to turn him into a nice volume pick-and-roll facilitator. It seemed like you really tried last season, and it was too mixed gains at, at best probably. But if that's what you hope for him, and you already have T.J. Warren, who's the guy who's going to handle the ball, and even if you want Josh Jackson to do a little bit of that, uh, I, again, I would just lean more towards wanting to wanting to sell high on Bledsoe before he gets that payday in 2019. Yeah, and it, it looks like now that we are looking at the same stuff. So it, Bledsoe, Chandler, Dudley are all coming off the books the same summer. So that's going to free up a ton of room, but it looks like also Booker becomes a restricted free agent when his rookie deal ends that same summer. So that's going to throw a monkey wrench in it if they're trying to throw money both at Booker and Bledsoe. One of those two is going to get lost in the mix, and it's definitely not going to be Booker. Thoughts on, uh, this is too general, but thoughts on Devin Booker. He was made untouchable in the Kyrie Irving trade talks, and... I, I honestly think that's what you should do because Kyrie probably leaves in two years anyway, and you can, when you factor in restricted free agency and the potential to give him, even if it's a four-year deal, he's under your control basically for at least the next half decade, if not six years, so you don't give up that asset. But do you see him developing into kind of the star that he was billed as over the past you know, eight, 18 months or so, it feels like, when he really broke out as a rookie and he continued to put up numbers last year but did you see growth enough in in all these other areas to hope that he will eventually live up to that distinction that seems like it was placed upon him a little prematurely yeah well i feel like everything of course has to do with context as well so right now they're asking booker to do a whole hell of a lot like he is handling the ball a lot he's kind of a one-man offense at times and having to do that while also living up to all of this defensive hype that he's had and has definitely not lived up to. Uh, I think there are some question marks. And again, he's 20. I mean, he's got plenty of time to develop. Yeah, that's the crazy part. Yeah, I mean, we have to keep this in mind. Like, he is still ridiculously young. The guy can't even drink legally yet. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous that everybody's holding him to such a high standard. And, like, rightly so. I mean, when you've got Kevin Durant and Kobe Bryant saying this guy's going to be a stud, you kind of have to live up to those expectations. But, yeah, uh, I mean, I really like him as a player. I think, obviously, the defensive analytics crucify him. And I think it's kind of similar to the mold of Clay Thompson where the defensive advanced metrics are not kind, but 
there's probably a middle ground between that and the eye test of like, okay, they seem like they can hold their own on defense. Like they're not great, but they're also not as terrible as some of the analytics say, especially because Devin Booker is playing on a God awful defensive team period. Uh, and having to shoulder the offensive load as well. So there's, there's been a lot put on him. And I think his poise through all of that speaks more than his play on the court to this point in his career, because again, he's only 20. Yeah, he's he is incredibly mature for his age. Anytime I see him in, or in an interview or anything like that, that's one thing that always impresses me. Um, in terms of his, his like advanced numbers, Basketball Reference actually says on their website in like the explanation for box plus minus that if a player has a bad defensive box plus minus, but his reputation is that he's a good defender, you should go with the reputation. So even they're admitting that there's like there's so much noise in that number that you can throw it out in certain cases. And then my other thing is, I you guys know I'm pretty big on numbers. Um, no. And helping to analyze the game, <laughs> but uh, I've always kind of said you can just throw them out for like the first two or three years. I, I think there I think um, eye test and flashes and things like that are more important when you're analyzing a 20 year old, like the, the guy scored 70 points in a game. And I get that he was like hunting shots and the team was really, everybody was working together to get him to get to 70, but you have to be incredibly talented to score 70 points in an NBA game. Yeah. And again, it's all context. I mean, right now he is playing on a bad team and that's going to hinder anybody's numbers and he's still managing to, poor in the point i mean the guy averaged what 22 plus points per game last season led the team uh i mean he's already kind of there as the leader and i know that this isn't something that really gets talked about a lot but the guy does a lot for the community of phoenix i mean he's a charitable guy he's giving back to a lot of young people within the community. And I, I think that kind of goes into it as well. Like you want somebody who's a good character guy uh, and a good locker room guy. And I think he's both of those because he's a hard worker. I, I would say I, I like what Andy said about you could throw numbers, I guess, out the window for the first two or three years. Uh, the flashes on the defensive end. I, I don't know if, if there is frequent as we would like to see. There were a couple times last season where I watched him switch some pick and rolls, and I, I thought, damn, that was actually pretty good. So there's something there. And I also think uh, his pick and roll experience on the offensive end, it would help a lot more if he had some additional shooters to leverage around him right now, or maybe even if the Suns committed to shooting the three ball even more just to try and keep defenses a little bit more honest. And... I think also to the same point that you guys made is that it helps that we saw him really increase his volume as a sophomore and his efficiency went up. You saw his effective field goal percentage decline, but his three-point percentage rose a little bit, and it wasn't like the effective field goal percentage plummeted. It went down by a half a point. So to kind of make that transition where all of a sudden you are this really high usage guy and, and you're posting a nearly 29% usage rate and your efficiency didn't necessarily plummet and that you're able to put up points in an offense that was uh, kind of uninspiring, especially when you looked at its shot selection and, and the spacing it surrounded him with. Those are things that I certainly believe you could hang your hat on. I, I just don't know if the enough of the you know defensive glimpses were there. Again, if he turns into this really good pick and roll switcher and he can defend in space a little bit and it doesn't need to be that he's even necessarily an even defender, but can at least survive in those situations sometimes. That's that's all they really need from him. And uh, this is stepping on toes what Ben said, but they were really young and uh, a lot of the problems could just have to do with you're spending some heavy time with Marquise Chris or uh, TJ Warren and then just these other young guys who are going to foul a lot as well. And you don't necessarily have all this good proven backup behind you. Yeah, and I, th- I think one kind of example we can draw upon here, uh, Andy can probably talk to this better than I can, but looking at Gordon Hayward's numbers, I know that when he was asked to have a, a greater offensive workload with the Jazz, his efficiency dropped quite a bit. And it was one season where he shot just a hair over 30% from three-point range, which is pretty ghastly, but he got it together and he figured it out. Whereas, as Dan was alluding to, Devin Booker, he 
added a ton of volume, shot a ton more shots, and his efficiency actually went up. Like, there was definitely no sophomore slump there, and, I mean, knock on wood, because it potentially could happen in year three when he's being asked to continue carrying the torch. But uh, it, it's interesting to see that someone like Gordon Hayward in his fourth year in the pros kind of had that dip when he had a, an increase in usage rate, and we didn't really see that with Booker. Yeah, he had a huge fall off that first. It was uh, it was right after the mass exodus, and he was suddenly the face of the team. Right. Um, Couldn't handle that, so apparently. On, <laughs> well, he's not going to have to be the man this year either. So, um, Believe it or not, I'm on basketball reference. Again, I know that may surprise you guys. Um, I was looking at Devin Booker and just his totals. He had 1,726 points, 249 rebounds, and 268 assists last season. So I decided to search players with 1,500 points, 200 rebounds, and 200 assists in an age 20 or younger season. LeBron James did it twice, Kevin Durant did it once, and Melo did it once, and Devin Booker. That's it. Wow. So, again, like you mentioned a few times, age age 20 to be as productive as he is, even with um, the question marks that sort of advanced numbers throw at us, I, I think there is plenty of reason optimism with this kid yeah i mean with the team it's going to be interesting because as dan was talking about are they going to start to shoot more three-pointers i mean only the bulls and the timberwolves shot fewer threes last season Uh, and the suns didn't exactly go out and get a whole bunch of shooters i mean they added uh troy daniels but that's really the needle too much and outside of that they're kind of bringing the band back together so and losing Leandro Barbosa, who was one of the guys who could actually shoot it. So there's not a whole lot of outside shooting on this team, and that worries me. Uh, again, it's going to be most of the offensive burden put on Booker, and I'm hoping that they don't run him into the ground too early in his career, asking him to do too much. And some of it does seem just, though, like a matter of schematics because they ranked... I was going to say, is that a coaching or a personnel thing? It seems like a coaching thing just because they ranked in the top 10 of field goal attempt frequency between 16 feet and the three-point line, and yet they were second to last in the NBA just in front of the Minnesota Timberwolves in three-point attempt rate. Like, that's, you know, just have the guys step back and just... Even if they're not supposed to, Yeah. yeah. Like, have Warren chuck up more. He shot 30-plus percent on threes after the All-Star break. Just have him fire away more from there yeah. if you have to. And I just even having guys shoot more, like, that just kind of enhances your pick-and-roll attack. It, it increases Devin Booker's options on drives. It increases Eric Bledsoe's options on drives as well. It'll open up your pick-and-roll game a little bit more. Uh, granted, th- the caveats here would be, that you need some of these guys to hit threes at a league average rate. But I would think even just attempting more kind of opens some different offensive doors in general. Yeah. Well, looking at it now, I mean, the sun shot, what barely over 33%, only the Pistons magic and thunder were worse. Uh, I mean, it's almost impressive though. And I'm sorry to interrupt you that they rank second to last in three point attempt rate. Uh, while ranking like f- second in pace, like I, I just don't know if the end goal for uh, Watson was just we need to get to the rim as much. But when you run that fast, you just assume that uh, a lot of the times you're not necessarily making it end to end, so you're firing up a ton of threes. Ergo, the Brooklyn Nets, who ranked uh, first in pace, and they shot a ton of threes. They were fourth in three point attempt rate. So it's just it's almost impressive I, that they ranked that low. Um, while I wonder so if fast. he's. Uh... I wonder if he's still teaching like old school fast breaks because the way you used to teach fast breaks was you had the guy handling the ball go down the middle, two guys sprinting down the side, and then they would around the three-point line cut to the rim. Nowadays, most teams have at least one guy fan out for a three, but uh, those numbers would suggest that, that he's still running sort of the old school fast break. Yeah, I mean, it seems like Earl Watson is kind of an old school guy in a young coach's body, I guess you would say. Uh, <laughs> I could got, see that for he's sure. He's got the John yeah. Wooden connection through UCLA. He talks very highly about John Wooden. Uh, John Wooden obviously was an old school guy, kind of more team-oriented, team chemistry-oriented. 
But I also think it just comes back to the personnel. Like they've got a lot of young guys. Typically, you don't see young players shooting a bunch of threes just because they'll miss one or two, and then the coach will get on them. Like, get some easy buckets, please. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marquise Chris, for instance, shot thirty-two percent. Uh, TJ Warren shot twenty-six percent, which is terrible. Uh, Eric Bledsoe shot 33%. I mean, they just don't really have those lights-out shooters on the squad, and also they don't have enough threats on offense to where defenses are collapsing and leaving people open either. So that's been a problem. And I guess when you're also trying to develop so many – I guess one, but you have ball handlers that you're trying to develop in Booker, Bledsoe, and TJ Warren. You need to give them some certain freedom to attack. And then when you're also trying to groom – these bigs or i mean if it's tyson chandler you're on the floor you're just going to want to try and run some pick and roll but it looked like they kind of focused a lot on some slip screening with marquis chris to try and get that down and really turn him into that unpredictable and effective rim runner so maybe so maybe that's part of it and maybe i'm sure it's a combination of all different things but perhaps that was just the focus and i thought andy i didn't even think about that where they might be running just older school fast breaks um speaking of big guys Good segue there. One name we haven't mentioned yet is Dragon Bender. How how high are you? He's still in the NBA. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I mean, there are a lot of people, I would say, not logical people who are already labeling him a bust. I think that's more than premature. I mean, yeah, here's a 19 year old. Yeah, less than 600 minutes. Yeah, I get it with kind of the the European guys. Like, if they're not Dirk or Kristaps right away, then they're a bust because we've had enough of a track record there. I think, like, Zarko Chaparkabo was one for the Suns. That's a throwback. <laughs> I remember that name, yeah. Yeah, but he, he actually was starting to get it together, and then Danny Fortson threw him to the ground, broke his wrist, and he was never the same. Uh, Nikolaus Skidishvili is another one where it's like he's got I was just going to say that. Yeah, despite the hype. Um, I don't know. I mean, right now it's definitely too early to tell one way or another with Bender. Uh, there are time like, people are kind of high on his defense. I'm not so high on his defense. I think a lot of the time he just kind of looks bewildered and lost, and maybe that's just me projecting that onto him. But he does kind of have this deer-in-the-headlights look sometimes on defense, tracking his guy, like kind of trying to remember – in the moment what his positioning needs to be and that's just going to come with experience and right now he doesn't have a whole lot of that so i i mean i'm taking the wait and see approach but obviously they've got chris as the go-to power forward on this team right now so bender's kind of lost in limbo and obviously alex len is taking minutes as well which you have to wonder at some point if they're going to cut the cord there and start putting len on the bench because he hasn't showed a whole lot coming out of college. I didn't think that he was worth as high of a draft pick as he got. I don't think that uh, I'm not going to remember the stat off the top of my head, but I don't think he made any of the all conference teams while he was in college, which is kind of a red flag. You don't make the first, second or third team in your own conference in college. Um, so yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see if Len loses minutes to Bender this year, but We'll have to wait and see. Len was losing minutes to Allen Williams last year, wasn't he, towards the end of the season? And Allen Williams is another guy who factors into that rotation when he's healthy. That's an interesting dilemma to balance up front. That's a big problem with this team, too, is that there's so many injuries. I mean, Brandon Knight out for the year again was atrocious last season. They couldn't even get a second-round pick in a trade for him. That was obviously not ideal. Uh, but yeah, Alan Williams had a great end to the season. I think he had a string of 10 plus double doubles in a row, which, I mean, he's just one of those gritty hustle fan favorite guys who just plays his tail off, but losing him to the meniscus tear, I think they said that he'll miss most of the season. That hurts. Uh, you just, you like to have those high motor guys, good locker room presence, towel waiver kind of a thing. (laughs) There was a while there when his his rebounding percentage was like all time levels. Like obviously it's a really small sample size with him, but it was like Dennis Rodman type stuff for a little bit. I mean, he's an absolute beast on the boards, and he's really fun to watch. I mean, he's super underrated, and obviously he's never going to get the nationwide acclaim. But he played really well for a stretch last year, and I think his absence is really going to hurt this team. 
he might be. At, obviously, I guess it'll go to Tyson Chandler, but he has to be their second best rim runner behind him, and that's if we don't account for a regression from Chandler. He might even be their best rim runner at this point. Yeah, I don't think that's unfair to say. It's funny so at too. what point? Oh, go I was ahead, just going to say, this is kind of off topic, but isn't it funny how when it seemed like for a while, and it, maybe it's just not happening because the hypothetical trades died down, but whenever there were just these trade proposals coming up, it was, hey, let's just dump a big into Phoenix, and it it was always, even Julio Okafor, it seemed like Phoenix was mentioned as this destination for him, even if it was They spec- kept getting connected scenarios. to Derek Favors, too. Right, it's it's like, they, dude, they have like eight jillion bigs, why would they take on another <laughs> one? I mean, I think that's true of all trade rumors at this point. It's, oh, Phoenix is in the mix. Phoenix will do it. Gonna... <laughs> um, so at what point do they shut guys or like yank guys like Tyson Chandler and Jared Dudley and guys like that from the rotation and just say, young guys, go take your lumps and figure this thing out? Or, or will Watson ever do that? I guess they kind of did like managerially with – with even Bledsoe D- last year, but yeah, but even Dudley played down the stretch, and you know what? He should lead this team in minutes because he's a national damn treasure, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. He was awesome on that. Uh, uh, who had him on? Woj, right? He's literally awesome on every single pod, uh, like podcast or radio appearance. When even when he's wrong, he's just awesome. I would agree with I mean, that. That, yeah. guy, that guy definitely has a TV career when he retires. He's great. No question. Yeah. Um, I mean, go ahead. Well. Another thing that Dan was even spitballing to me was potentially moving those guys as those kind of hefty contracts that they could throw into a trade. A contending team would want the veteran leadership of a Tyson Chandler, assuming he doesn't slip even more than what we've already seen. Jared Dudley's kind of the same way. He got a a bad rap in L.A. with the Clippers because he was never healthy, and I don't know that he and Doc ever saw eye-to-eye, but... Those are two got two veteran guys that could really help other teams, but I think at this point with so many young players on the Suns, just having those sage veterans that can kind of guide them the right way along with Earl Watson, who, though a young coach, does kind of have those old-school like veteran kind of takes on things. Uh, I think I think it's going to be super important to have Chandler and Dudley around just because they're the only guys that are even over 30 on this team, I think. Yeah, I mean, Dudley seems like he'd be an excellent conduit between coach and kiddos. That's just, I basically saw absolutely nothing, but he seems like he would be that guy. And hey, if you look at it this way, if you're going to pay Tyson Chandler and um, Jared Dudley about you know $23 million a year, that's $17 million less than the Kings are paying Zach Randolph, George Hill, and Vince Carter to do the same exact thing. So, savings. That's a good point. Yeah, I mean, I think just having that flexibility of potentially flipping them in a deal that could help them is worthwhile, and I think it's something that they'll entertain. But I think at this point, Ryan McDonough has maybe even surpassed Danny Ainge in terms of being in the mix for trade talks and then nothing coming to fruition. I think he well, that's only because Danny Ainge will only pick up the phone if it's the Pelicans calling to offer Anthony Davis. (laughs) Quite true. Dudley still good. So let's say they. That's just uh, interrupting Bill again. Dudley's like, like, give me the small ball four for him. I'll, like, I, I would love to have him on my team. I think a contending team would, like, he could help some people for sure. If the Cavs had any picks whatsoever, just attach something to Shumpert and get Dudley, I think they're instantly better. Yeah. Or even Chandler. I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive to say it now the way that the game is evolving, but I think someone like Tyson Chandler behind LeBron would be a really interesting match. And pick and rolls. I guess he's not as much of an offensive weapon as he used to be, but pick and rolls with those two could be interesting. He was too. still in like the ninety fourth percentile of pick and roll finishing last year, which is just absolutely and he, absurd. His and that's on the Suns team that really couldn't like, create space, which is incredible. Yeah, right. And his true sure. shooting yeah. percentage was still high six hundreds, I think. Yeah, um, and you're you have to add in the fact that if Chandler goes to a contending team, he's probably going to get some more pep in his step. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> All of a sudden, uh, he's leaping a little bit higher. <laughs> Yeah. Let's assume they keep everyone. Uh, the roster survives the season as it is now. What What do you think is like a best case and a worst case scenario in terms of wins and losses? Oh wow. Um, I mean, I think best case, obviously. I mean, it, it's so hard to say because there's so many injuries right now. I mean, 
again, I'm saying this probably for the fourth or fifth time, not that Brandon Knight did anything to help the team last season, but him being out, Alan Williams being out, I mean, at this point, you have to think that just improving on last season would be a win. I mean, let's say 30 wins, high watermark would be great. Uh, I mean, if they regress from last season, that's obviously not ideal, and they might have to potentially look into making coaching changes quicker than they would otherwise. And I, I know Earl Watson has said that he's not the kind of guy to stay put in any one place, and I think at this point he's the young guy who can connect with the young guys, teach them to play the game the right way, approach the game the right way, but once everybody kind of matures and gets into their prime, I, I think it's going to be kind of one of those situations where they dump Watson and get a more like a, a veteran coach to kind of come in and make the the winning transition, I guess you could say. Uh, but yeah, at this point, I mean, it, it's impossible to expect anything more than they've already shown. I mean, I don't think that we're going to see another 48-win campaign a la... Dragic and Bledsoe back in the day when everybody was saying they were going to finish dead last in the conference. Good times. Yeah. yeah that was a crazy year. Aside from missing the playoffs by a hair and then draft yeah. the end of the lottery, which you never want. But Dragic uh, does yeah. that to teams, apparently. Look at the heat. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> where do you have him, Dan? I, I, I don't know where I have them, to be honest. What I think would be really fun for them is that you would win maybe 26, 27 games while having like a top 13 or 12 offense, or maybe an offense that's just super potent when Booker and Chris and Warren and, and Bledsoe all share the floor together. But I honestly do think they're going to end up moving Bledsoe before the trade deadline, and that will eventually detracts from their win total if they kept this band together and we're not looking at this big turnover and everyone stays healthy i think you could throw them in the mix for 30 but i have a hard time seeing this team winning much more than that and especially because basing this off absolutely nothing other than a gut feeling or, or intuition I, I think they're going to end up closer to last year's win total than not or may, maybe something around like 26 27 just around there because i do think they'll move bledsoe I mean, even looking at the Western Conference right now, the Timberwolves won 31 games last year, and now they've got Jimmy Butler. I mean, they're going to be way better than they were last year. Mm -hmm. I think the Lakers, with Lonzo Ball, are going to improve. I don't think that they're going to light the world on fire, but... LeVar I mean, disagrees. Even... <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean... The Kings, obviously, I don't think they're going to be too good. The Mavericks, they're one or two injuries away from being a cellar dweller. Uh, the Pelicans, they're not going to be able to shoot. Who knows if Alvin Gentry can figure out the Anthony Davis to Marcus Cousins pairing. Uh, I mean, there's just so much going on in the West, that, and the Suns didn't really add anything of substance that I feel like they're just going to be right there at the bottom again. Uh, but we'll have to see what happens. I mean, obviously injuries are going to play a role in this, but it just on paper looks like every other team in the West is better than the Suns right now. What do you got, Matt Bales? I, I would say it's a race between them and the Kings for last in the West. Um, I would agree with ceiling that you guys both gave, probably high 20s, and I'm going to ignore the one of the premises of my original question because I, uh, I agree with Dan. I think somebody probably gets moved. Um, or or they'll shut two Quote or three guys somebody. at some point. <laughs> well, I already said Bledsoe wasn't, so I can't go back on that. I'm already going back on one I mean, part it, of the It could be Bledsoe, and it could be one of the vets. You never know. Dudley. Chandler, Dudley, yeah. Like there's, yeah. there's a bunch of options. Even if they don't um, so move I, anyone, you have to think that hopefully Bender's just healthy and gets to play more, and you're going to try and maybe involve Chris more, Warren more. You really have to – I would think you have to fight more to establish a dynamic between Bledsoe and Booker and Warren yeah, and Jackson. Like, yeah. Maybe you just pull the the older guys out of the rotation just for reasons like that. Yeah, I think at this point a successful season will just be kind of experimenting with different lineups, seeing how Josh Jackson fits at the 3, at the 4, trying out some small ball, seeing how the young guys play together. I think Watson just can't be afraid to experiment and bench the the veteran guys a little bit more than he has in the past. Uh, but at this point, it's like if we were gunning to win games, that's probably not 
the best case scenario because you've got to see what these young guys have. You've got to let them develop, throw them into the fire a little bit. It's such an interesting dilemma for coaches because some are willing to embrace that and some, like I remember this uh, painfully, vividly well with Tyrone Coburn and the Jazz. It was the same thing. Is he going to be willing to play the young guys or is he going to fight for wins? Well, Watson is also in a unique position because he was brought in without the expectations of winning, whereas some people like Ty Corbin and Jeff Hornacek, when he was with the Suns, it's like they're having to coach to win in their opinion because they want to keep their jobs. Yeah, right. And a lot of times from a fan perspective, that's not the best way to go about it because you're saying, oh, you need to develop the young guys. Like, why is he not playing any of the young guys? And they're kind of approaching it from this is my job is to help this team win games the way that I feel like we can. And often that's playing the veteran guys who have been there before. Well, unless either of you have anything else that you're dying to talk about with the Suns, I feel like we hit just about everything. Um, Ben, thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Thanks for It was a good time. Great insights. Um, Tell the listeners where they can find you on Twitter and the uh, interwebs. Yeah, so I'm uh, at on Twitter at Ben Lebo, B-E-N-L-E-B-O. My last name is far too long to put in a handle, so that's why <laughs> I did that. Uh, but and yeah, just keep an eye out for stuff on the horizon. He is an excellent follow. I will uh, vouch for that. Um, I will vouch for Dan- Andy's vouch. <laughs> We got lots of vouches. I'm also going to vouch for Dan's Twitter handle, which is uh, a dumb decision. Dan Dan Favalli, F A V A L E. I'm at Andrew D Bailey. The show's at Hardwood Knox. Of course, uh, we would really appreciate ratings and reviews if you guys are uh, able to do that. And until next time, we leave you with a shout out to the one and only, the magnificent mid-range sniper, Bino Udri. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.